0: this morning we're going to continue our series in the book of first peter and i don't know about you guys but i have really been enjoying this this book um first peter is loaded with theological statements and loaded with calls to action to live out the gospel to apply our christianity to be hands and feet not to just talk about it but to live out following jesus peter gives over 30 imperatives in his little short little five chapter letters over 30 imperatives so i went through last night and counted over 30 close about 35 or so imperatives where he's like do this do this do this and he's very simple very to the to the point this is what you need to do you need to take some action but he doesn't he doesn't give these imperatives isolated from theological basis he gives good reason and grounds for why christians are to do what they do to have motivation and the right thinking about why we do what we do last week we looked at four imperatives in first peter chapter one namely that we live hopefully That we live hopeful lives, setting our hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to us at the revelation of Jesus Christ. We looked at the the, the imperative to be holy as God is holy. We looked at the imperative to to fear God, to live in the fear of the Lord, and then to love one another with a sincere heart, with with a sincere love. So this week, there's, there's four more imperatives we're gonna look at, but also loaded within this text, I want you to look for not only the imperatives of what Peter is calling Christians to do, but also the identity statements of who Peter says Christians are. This is huge. This is important. If we're going to obey the imperatives, the commands of Scripture, we need to know who God is and we need to know who we are because our obedience to him and the way we live our lives is is profoundly affected by our identity in him. Who he has made us, causing us to be born again. And so if you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 1. And I'm just going to read through. We're going to go 1 through 12. And then uh, we're going to look at a couple things here, several things. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that you may grow up into salvation. Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame for the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling, a rock of a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word. But now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul and keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. And all God's people said, Amen. So here's the big idea. This is where we're going from this text this morning. God has called his people to be set apart not only from sinful behaviors, but also set apart for his kingdom purposes of proclaiming the excellencies of God, offering up spiritual sacrifices, and doing good deeds. Oftentimes when, when we talk about holiness, Many folks stop short mentally thinking that holiness is just about abstaining from. God doesn't just call us to be set apart from something. He calls us to be set apart for something and someone, Him. Okay? And so that's what we're going to look at this morning. The first part of it is he, He calls Christians... To put away all malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. In the Greek, this is the same verb that's used for taking off a garment. The apostle Paul uses it in Ephesians chapter 4 and Colossians chapter 3 metaphorically as putting off that old sinful behavior that you once lived in before you knew Jesus. Put it off. Put it off. Take off those filthy garments that have been soiled by sin and stained by sin that stink, that look terrible, that are embarrassing and shameful to wear in public. Put them off. Namely, those garments of malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. So Peter is continuing his theme of live a holy life. Live a godly life in love. Live a life that's set apart and holy, consecrated from sin and for God. So malice, that isn't a a word that we, we use too often, but that word means ill will. The intention or desire to do evil. If you have the Living Bible paraphrase, it says feelings of hatred. Put those off. Those feelings of hatred. The the next thing he says to put off is deceit. Deceit is very simple. Deceiving another person, misrepresenting the truth, falsehood, or trickery. Okay, I think we all know what deceit is. The next, which is similar to it, is hypocrisy. Which is pretense, a masking of inward evil by an outward show of righteousness. Put off hypocrisy. God wants truth and authenticity, integrity with inside of us, not just this external show of righteousness, but He wants us to worship Him and 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 do what 's right from the inside out, not just externally, envy a feeling of discontentment or resentful lodging aroused by someone else's possessions or qualities. It's the opposite of rejoicing with those who rejoice in thankfulness for good that comes to others. When you see somebody else get blessed, when God provides and comes through and grants the desires of the heart of a brother or sister, are you happy about that or do you feel like, oh, why didn't that happen to me? That's envy when we can't rejoice and be thankful and, and, and delight in the good that comes upon our brothers and sisters. And we immediately think about, what about me? What about me? I want that. I want to have that experience. I want that. We should rejoice with those who rejoice and be glad about the good things that are happening in the family of God. Now, notice these things are not just external sinful behaviors. These are also internal sinful behaviors that the apostle Peter is telling us to make war on, to put off, to fight against, to deal with, to clean house. The other one is slander. Slander is evil speaking any speech which harms or is, is intended to harm another person's status or reputation. We've, we've all been guilty of saying things we shouldn't have said that have been verbal assaults and, 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 and have been destructive. We've all been guilty of using our words to tear down another person, whether we're joking or whether we intentionally meant it for harm. See, the Bible says, Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So, so Peter's telling us to put these things off. This is this is how you used to live. This is not fitting for Christians to wear these garments any longer, these sinful stained garments, this these practices, these behaviors, these are not consistent with who God has made you as obedient children of God. He already said back in chapter one, as as obedient children who've been born again through the Word of God, love one another with pure, sincere love. Love one another because you're children of God. Live like it. And I love that throughout the scripture, the New Testament, God says, this is who you are. Now live like it. Live out your identity. So put these things off. I like how the message paraphrases this. He says, so clean house. Make a clean sweep of malice, pretense, envy, and hurtful talk. Clean house. So this week, Kendall and I had some dear friends come over and help clean our house, and we did. We had a deep cleaning. By the way, if you need somebody to do a deep cleaning in your house, Sheila right there is is super uh, skilled at at putting off and cleaning house and 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 washing away filth and scum and stuff that you didn't even realize you had up in your house. Sometimes we don't realize how dirty our house or how dirty our car is until it gets clean and we're like, wow, I didn't know it can look this good. Looks like a new place. All right. And it makes all the difference. It makes all the difference. And this is what Peter's calling the people of God to do internally in their hearts and in their behavior, in their actions. Clean house. Make it a clean house. Get that stuff out of your life. It's not fitting for you. But notice he doesn't just say, get rid of this. He also says to pursue something. Again, as I mentioned this last week, holiness, it's not merely the absence from something. It's not just being separated from something, but separated for something or someone. Okay? So we're to pursue. Look look at what he says in verse 2. Like newborn infants long for the spiritual pure milk. That by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Peter uses the analogy of infants. Babies. We have one of those in the household right now. And when he longs for milk. He lets... Everybody know he wants some milk. Even if it's three o'clock in the morning, he will cry until he gets his desires fulfilled. And man, he is persistent. He is persistent. We've tried to let him cry it out and it's been a challenge. Babies crave that pure spiritual milk. And that's, that's a healthy, natural thing to do, the natural desire and craving that babies have. If a baby doesn't have, if if an infant doesn't have a craving for some milk, then that baby's probably sick. There's probably something wrong that that needs to be fixed and healed in in that child, right? And so, as those who've been born again, who've been brought into the family of God, it's right and fitting for us to desire spiritual nourishment. And you know what that spiritual nourishment is? The NSAB translates it, the pure milk of the word now peter's already talked about the word in chapter 1 the word of god that endures forever that stands forever that through the, that it's through that word the imperishable seed of the word of god that we've been we've been born again We've heard the gospel, the word of God, and and, and God has given us new life as Christians. And it's that same word that sustains us and nourishes us that we must continue to feed on if we're going to grow up into our salvation. And if we have tasted indeed that the Lord is good, we're going to go back there for another taste and another taste and another taste. All right. What's your favorite restaurant? Valentinos, You gonna are you going to go back there? That's your plan, right? You're going to go back there because you've tasted that the food is good there. When you've tasted and you've seen, you've experienced the kindness and the mercy and the goodness of God, you're going to want to keep going back to Him in relationship. It's not just the once a year kind of thing or once a week kind of thing. It should be a daily thing for us. When we go back to Him over and over and over again to taste and see that the Lord is good. When was the last time you tasted and you saw that the Lord is good? When you do that, when you come to Him in faith and you look to Him in prayer and faith and you put your hope in Him and you experience His presence and His kindness and His mercy and His grace towards you, it satisfies a deep longing within your heart because we are made for him and this relationship with him okay and so we should naturally cry out as those who've been born again we should cry out for that knowing him more deeply now i I don't think that with peter using this analogy i don't think that peter is implying that these guys are spiritual babes now paul uses this and uses the language in first corinthians 3 as you know that the corinthians could only Eat the milk because they they, they couldn't eat the meat because they were still babes, but the emphasis isn't here on their immaturity. The emphasis, the emphasis here is on the longing and the craving, the, the desire for that spiritual nourishment. Saying like babies who long for the their, their mother's milk, you desire that pure spiritual milk. So Peter also says that you're a spiritual house. So he uses several metaphors to describe the people of God. And this, these are helpful for preachers. And these are helpful for us as we're trying to get understanding. Verse 4 says, As you come to him as a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. You are a spiritual house, or as Paul says it, you're the temple of God and the Holy Spirit resides within you. You personally, as a, if, if you're born again and you're a Christian, you have the Spirit of God dwelling inside of you. And then as the people of God, when we gather together together, we are uh, also we're we're living stones We're he, he describes us as living stones and a spiritual house. Uh, and, and we're we're like these stones that build the temple in the Old Testament. The temple was a really big deal. It was a really big deal. Okay, because this is where God was worshipped, where sacrifices were brought. This is where um, where where the glory of God was revealed. This is this is where God met people and showed up with people. And and one of the things the New Testament does is it de-emphasizes this call to to gather around a physical temple, and it and it decentralizes it and and says. You guys are the temple. You guys carry the presence of God. You don't have to go to Jerusalem to the temple to worship God. You don't have to even go to church to worship God and experience the presence of God. But you can experience God wherever you go. You carry as the people of God. You carry the presence of God. Yet, when you gather together, uh, there is a special presence of God that he he shows up in a special way when his people gather together he dwells amongst us in a profound special way so Jesus is described as the cornerstone in verse 6 for it stands in scripture behold i'm laying in zion a stone a cornerstone chosen and precious Whoever believes in Him will not be put to shame. So the cornerstone was one of the most important stones in a building. When they would, when they would build these buildings, this was the first one that goes down and it, it was the plumb line. It kinda, it set the trajectory of where the building would go. This way and this way. Alright? And so the cornerstone was huge. It's so important. And yet, Jesus as the cornerstone was rejected by the builders. John says in John chapter one, he came to his own and his own did not receive him. He was rejected and he turned out to be the very cornerstone. They, they were blinded to this reality. So for, for, for those of us who are believers, he's that cornerstone and that foundation that we build our lives upon. He's that rock. That that we're built upon. He's he's the rock of our salvation. But for those who reject him, he's a stumbling stone. A rock of offense. Okay? For those who reject the word of God, it says they stumble because they disobey the word of God as they were destined to do. Now these are weighty words. I encourage you to wrestle, if you want to wrestle with this idea... As they were destined to do, at the end of verse 8, go spend some time in Romans chapter 9 and ask God to give you some understanding, okay? God describes himself as the potter and we're the clay. We know that he is just and he is righteous and he is good and he is sovereign. We may not fully, completely understand this, how these guys are destined to, To do that we we like when we read the Gospels and we read about Judas and him betraying Jesus as that scripture might be fulfilled it baffles us like how could this be Jesus chose this guy to be with him and yet he wasn't genuine from the beginning he was a thief and Jesus allowed him to roll with him and allowed him to do the dirty work that he did so that salvation might come to the world you verse 5 says that you are a holy priesthood so notice gives the priesthood to all believers in the 15th century um, the roman catholic church had become so corrupt and they put so much emphasis on the the priest being way up here being exalted the common people being way down here and one of the things that the, the the Peter tells us here is that each one of us Christians have been entrusted with the priesthood. We we are called to be priests, holy priests. Verse 5, you yourselves like living stones are being built together, not only are we these living stones in this spiritual house, but we're also the priests inside the house that offer up spiritual sacrifices. This is a great privilege and a great responsibility that you and I have been entrusted with. We are to offer up as a holy priesthood spiritual sacrifices to God through Jesus Christ. Look at verse nine. In contrast to those who reject God as they were destined to do, they stumble and they reject God and they don't believe. He says in verse nine, but you. I love the but you's in scripture. Like where, where Peter or Paul uh, or some one of the New Testament writers in Hebrews, he'll, he'll talk about these apostates, these false teachers, these people who reject God and turn away from God and it's heavy language. And then he says, but you, but you, we're, we're, we're confident of better things concerning you, but you, you are a chosen race. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own possession. This is language that was used to speak about the Israelites in the Old Testament. And their special privilege and their the, 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 the responsibility that they had to be in covenant relationship with God. Peter applies this not only to Jewish Christians, but also to Gentile Christians. All of the church is... A chosen race, a royal priest. And by the way, a chosen race made up of all races, every tribe and every tongue, ethnically diverse, ethnically diverse. I love that about Christianity, that it's not just a Western thing. It is a global, it is a global movement that Jesus Christ started from Jerusalem so you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Now I mentioned in the, the Catholic Church in the 15th century how they would, they would downplay common people and they would elevate the priest, the Roman Catholic priest. Martin Luther and other reformers saw the corruption of the Roman Catholic Church and they pushed back. They, they they realized this is wrong. They started reading the scriptures. They saw what the scriptures said. And they realized that this priesthood isn't just to these clergies who get paid to do what they're doing. This priesthood is for every Christian. They called it the priesthood of all believers. If you're a Christian, you are a priest. Look to your neighbor and say, you're a priest. You're a priest. not Not a Roman Catholic priest, but you're a priest. And priests have the privilege and the responsibility of representing God to the people, being spokesmen on behalf of the people, okay, and representing the people to God, praying for the people, interceding for the people. In the Old Testament, the priest would offer up sacrifices on behalf of the people. Uh, Bridger, the testimony that he shared uh, about his friend that he met at IHOP and he's been able to have these spiritual conversations with him. Bridger's functioning as a priest, a, a, a priest, the priesthood of the believer. He's using his priestly privileges and responsibilities to tell this young man about Jesus and to listen, engage in conversations, to pray for Him, to bring Him before the throne of God in prayer, right? And so this is, this is what we, we're all called to do. Not just me because I'm a pastor, but you. You saints are called to ministry. Remember in Ephesians 4 that the work of the ministry is for all the saints and the, the, the roles, the role of the leaders in the church is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry we want to see every person here engaged in ministry because you're a part of the priesthood of believers because you have the privilege and the responsibility of telling others about Jesus of of praying for others of rep- representing God being a witness a, a testifying of the gospel of grace and you you could and should do this in your workplace in your school in your neighborhood In your community. If you don't, then who will? You're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. You're a chosen race, the royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own special possession. Now notice that there is purpose with this privilege. Okay? There is purpose with this privilege. You were chosen and set apart for a purpose. There's at least three things here. Uh, we might summarize these as to glorify God ultimately, right? And to do good to people. But but Peter says, you're, you're called out so that you might proclaim his excellencies, that you might declare the excellencies of who God is. Wayne Grudem says this, to declare God's excellencies is to speak of all that he is and all that he has done. You're called to do that. You're called out of darkness, living in darkness, sinful behaviors and practices into the light. You're called into the light and to live in the light and to proclaim his excellencies in the light so that others might come to the light as well. You're also to offer up spiritual sacrifices. Christianity involves much sacrifice. Be aware of accepting a version of Christianity that does not involve any sacrifice. Now the ultimate sacrifice was, was provided for in Jesus Christ. The perfect sacrifice for our salvation was provided at the cross for our sins. And we, we, we can't and don't improve upon that. It's finished. But Jesus calls his disciples to take up their own crosses and follow him and lay down their lives as an ex- following his example of denying ourselves, taking up our cross. True worship involves sacrifice. All throughout the scriptures we see that so so what are these sacrifices there are there's at least four different spiritual sacrifices. You can break these down in different ways, but i've listed them as four uh, Romans twelve one I therefore, I beseech you, I urge you by the mercies of God that you present your your bodies or your life, your whole being, all that you are to God. As a living sacrifice. He doesn't just want part of you, he wants all of you. He has redeemed you. He has bought you at a price by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Therefore, glorify God with your body. Your praise. Hebrews thirteen fifteen says, Therefore, through him let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise. That is the fruit of our lips giving thanks to his name. Your praise your praise praising God whether you feel like it or not offering praise to him is a spiritual sacrifice that the new testament calls us to make now in the old testament there were sacrifices there were animal sacrifices that were brought to the altar we don't practice those old testament animal sacrifices anymore okay uh, even though some of you may want to with with your disobedient dog or cat right uh, but we don't we don't we don't practice those sacrifices anymore you're giving also uh, Hebrews 13:16 uh and don't forget to do good and share and it says this with such sacrifices god is well pleased you're giving you're giving to god and you're giving to others that is an act of worship that's described as a sweet smelling fragrance in the nostrils of God. In Philippians 4.18. Paul told the, the Philippians that. They had supported him financially. And he described their support as this sweet aroma. This fragrant offering to God. And also disciples. Your disciples. People that you lead to the Lord. And people that you're discipling. Investing in. Helping them become all that God's called them to be. Jesus said go make disciples. Paul described the, the, the Gentile Christians. Who had come to faith. As this offering to God, he says, the grace given to me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God. So that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. When you get to heaven, who are you going to be able to look around and see that you told about Jesus and you were uh, a part of helping them get there point sharing the message God has ordained God has ordained that people be saved through hearing and believing the gospel and God has ordained that that gospel be shared through your lips and my lips what what an amazing privilege but also what a weighty responsibility that you and I have to just be the be the UPS man Or woman, or the Amazon woman. Just show up, deliver the package, whether they want it or not, whether it's the right order or not for them. You just do your job, get the message there, get the package there. Don't water it down, don't change it, just deliver it. Okay? And their response, that's on them. God will hold everyone accountable for their response. Every person will be held accountable for how they respond. Or don't respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we're to offer up as priests. As those who've been called uh, to be ministers. Everywhere we go. These are some of the sacrifices that we're to offer up. As we're living our Christian lives. Now notice in verse 11. Peter also calls these Christians. Beloved sojourners and exiles. They're beloved sojourners and exiles, and because they are, they're to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against their soul. There are there there are almost ten or so, about nine or ten um identity statements within this passage uh here of one through twelve. And one of them is beloved. You're you're loved by God. You're loved. Saints, you are loved, you're sojourners. The implication is you're just passing through. This this isn't your home. You're just passing through here. This isn't this isn't your, your your citizens of heaven. Your citizenship is in heaven. So don't get cozy here. You're exiles. Okay. Again, this isn't this isn't your permanent home. And this is the mindset that we should have. I mean, imagine if you were on a trip and you stopped at a hotel for 2 days and you didn't like the flooring and you didn't like the curtains and you're just like, "Well, I'm going to fix it up. Let's go get some laminate and lay it down and replace the floor. Let's change these curtains here. Uh let's get a new uh, comforter. This this doesn't look very good. Let's let's spruce this place up. But you're only going to be there for 2 days. That would be foolish. Because that's not your, that's not your permanent home. That's not your residence, right? You're not gonna fix that place up and remodel the hotel. It's not even yours. Actually, you might get fined for doing that. You might have to p- fix it back, right? So it would be foolish. And yet we treat this world that we're in as if it's our home. As if this is our permanent residence. I love how Eugene Peterson paraphrases this. He says, friends, this world is not your home, so don't make yourselves cozy in it. Don't indulge your ego at the expense of your soul, okay? This world is not your home. Have this mindset that you're just, you're passing through, you're a sojourner, you're you're an exile, you're a traveler, just passing through. How encouraging this must have been and comforting this must have been for those Christians who were being displaced from their homes and having everything ripped away from them because they were followers of Jesus, because this was happening at the time that the apostle peter was was write, wrote this letter he wrote this letter to christians who were experiencing intense persecution and how comforting it is to be reminded of that when the things of this world that we possess are being stripped away from us when our our life and our health and our possessions are being stripped away from us so as sojourners, as uh, exiles, as those who are loved, he says, abstain from passions of the flesh. Again, put those things off. Live a holy life because he who called you is holy. You also be holy. That's your dad. Live like him. Act like him. All right. Wayne Grudem says this, that such a command implies that the inward desires are not uncontrollable. But can be consciously nurtured and restrained. A needed rebuke to our modern society which takes feelings as morally neutral given and disparages anyone who would say feelings and desires are wrong. Okay. There are ungodly desires and feelings that we should make war on because they are warring against our souls. It's been said that love's not a feeling, okay? But I would say that love affects our feelings. Now, we love people and we love God regardless of how we feel. And we press through the feelings even when the feelings aren't there. But the love that we have for God and for others should affect our feelings. We should not want ill ill, and terrible things to happen to them. That's malice. We should rejoice and be happy when good things happen to him. If we don't, that's envy. And these are feelings. These are sinful feelings and desires that are going on with inside of us. And Peter says they are making a war on your soul. They, these these fleshly lusts, they, they fight against your soul. They weaken you. They will make you weak and ineffective as a priest, as a witness, if you don't get... Victory over these things. Now let me just say this. It is important for you and I to address sin at more than just the behavioral level. More than just an external behavioral level. With our, with, with our kids, we are, we are trying to help them. We're going for their hearts, not just their external behavior and conformity to external rules. We want their hearts to, to desire the right thing, to want to do the right thing, and then to do it in their actions. And God tells us to go for the heart. go Address the issues of the mind, those strongholds in our mind, cast those high things down that exalt themselves against the knowledge of God, those sinful desires that, that are waging war with inside of us, put them to death, those feelings that are ungodly, Bring them before God and ask God to change your heart. Change your your thinking and change your feeling and change your doing. God wants to change us from the inside out. And so we must make war on sin internally. And so if you've been nurturing adulterous thoughts, sinful thoughts, deceitful thoughts, greedy thoughts... If you've, if you've let those CDs, those DVDs play, those YouTube videos play in your mind, then you're sinning. Jesus said if you just look, look to lust, you commit adultery. And so God sees sin on the inside even before we commit it externally. And so if we're going to successfully win in the battle against sin, then we have to address it at the heart level, at the desire level, in our mind, in our heart, because there is a war that's going on for our souls. Can you feel it? Can you feel it? Can you feel as your heart is drawn away? Can you feel the battle raging on inside of you? And if you're not getting victory Against these fleshly lusts and these passions and these sinful habits, then you need to call in other troops. You need to call in the Air Force through prayer. Lord, send your angels. Deliver me, God, from the evil one. You need to pray, okay? Now, if the Air Force troops aren't like are, are getting the job done, you need to call in the infantry, all right? You, the saints, the, the those who have boots on the ground, saints, hey guys, I need your help. I need your prayers, I need your accountability, I need you to speak the truth of the gospel to me. Help me. I'm struggling. Let's fight this together. Don't just think you can fight it on your own. If you're losing the battle, don't think you can just keep on losing the battle and just one day. You know, there's other ways. You try a different strategy. Okay? Call in reinforcements. Meditate on scripture. Meditate. Renew your mind with truths that, that scripture, that, that will help you specifically pinpoint those issues of sin in your life. And lastly, he says, keep your conduct. Here's the last imperative here. Keep your conduct honorable. Uh, This word in the Greek can also be translated good or beautiful. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Does that sound like any other verse that we know in the New Testament? I have it up there. Matthew 5, 14 through 16. You are the light of the world. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is heaven. Peter is echoing these words from his Lord Jesus. Jesus told his followers, this is who you are. Now live like it. You are the light of the world. So let your light shine. You are children of God. You are beloved. You are uh, exiles, sojourners. So keep your conduct honorable among the Gentiles. Live in a godly way that's winsome to those who don't know Jesus yet. Particularly the Gentiles who don't know Jesus yet. Let them see your works. Not only your words. The beautiful words of the gospel. make Priests must proclaim those truths, those excellencies Speaking is important. People need to hear the gospel to get saved because your good works aren't going to do enough to save somebody like Jesus, who, who did the, the best good works. Even Jesus had to preach so that people can hear and believe the message. Right. And he did preach, but he did both. He had good words, powerful words of life and truth, but he had good works that adorned and complimented the very words that he spoke. And when you have those two married together, the good words of the gospel and the good deeds of a life that's been transformed by the gospel, you have a powerful witness to the lost world around you. And when they see your good deeds, when they see that life that's consistent with the message that you proclaim, When they see those, they will glorify God on the day of visitation. Now, some theologians think that this this could be when Jesus returns, the day of visitation. Others think that this could mean when God shows up to save those people, when those people just actually get saved and God visits them. But either way, the end result is glory to God and good to others. Let's look at these identity statements here in these passages. In 14, he describes us as... Obedient children, no longer disobedient children, we're obedient children who've been born again. We're living stones, we're a spiritual house, we're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, God's own people, uh, beloved sojourners, exiles. This is who you are, saints. This is your identity. This is who God has made you. So obey, live like it. The imperatives should flow out of the identity that that God has given us in Jesus. The indicatives of this is what God's done. So now walk it out. The four imperatives that we see in this passage are put away malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander, long for the pure spiritual milk, abstain from the passions of the flesh, and keep your conduct honorable. This is real Christianity. This is real Christianity. And again, it's not enough to just abstain from. Okay? Like those, by the way, those those who struggle with addictions know that and they're they're taught that in AA and in different recovery programs. It's not enough to just stop doing that negative habit and that negative thing that you were doing, that, that addiction. You have to have some kind of replacement. See, God doesn't just call us To be set apart from something. He calls us to be set apart for him. And for his purposes. To proclaim his excellencies. Amen. Amen. And so in application. Identify sinful behaviors. That hinder your growth. Peter implies that. If you don't put these things off. You're not going to grow. You're not going to progress spiritually. In godliness. And grow up into your salvation. You need to put those things off. Okay, and you do so by confessing them, bringing those things to the light, living in the light, asking God to change your heart. Put those things, uh, identify them, put them off, and then feed on the Word. Be nourished and, and renewed by the Word of God. Renew your mind with the Word of God. What God says in His Word about you and how you are to live. And then, lastly, actively look for opportunities. To speak about God to others and lovingly do acts of service for others. This is real Christianity. And I think if we all live this out, we would see people coming to faith. We would see lives being changed all around us at our work and our community. I mean, just this week I saw there was a church in the area that, that raised a couple million dollars to pay off medical bills uh, for those who are indebted, thousands of dollars from just enormous medical bills. And I saw that, and I thought, this church right here is letting their light shine before men, that they might see their good works and glorify their Father in heaven. I thought, man, that would be awesome if we could do that, but we're just a little tiny church. But who knows? Who knows what we can do with 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 God working through us and the opportunities that he's given us the the relationships that he's given us we have no idea how God might use us to make an impact in this world and so let's live lives that are consecrated from sinful behaviors and consecrated for him delighting in him pursuing him and all that he has for us amen so let's pray heavenly father I thank you for these words of truth. These words that we need to be reminded of, that we need to embrace and believe and live out. And I pray that we would. I pray that our Christianity, God, would be real. That we would display with our actions and words that we have been transformed by the gospel of grace. I pray, God, that you would forgive us where we have just been playing church, where we've just been pretending, where we have been covering up externally but not allowing you to deal with our hearts and those deeper issues. I pray that you would free us up from self-deception, from hypocrisy, from deceit. And I pray that we would love genuinely. Would you search us? Search our hearts and reveal any hurtful way in us. And lead us in the way everlasting. May the words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart Be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and redeemer. Help us to lay aside the guilt, the shame, the pretense, every weight and sin that easily ensnares us. And may we look to you, the author and the finisher of our faith. In Christ's name we pray.